You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. You don't have to uh, raise your hand or anything, but how many of you would say you are not satisfied with your prayer life? I think if we were honest, most of us would probably say that. Well, this morning in this very place, in 10 easy steps, I'm going to teach you how to have an effective and life-changing prayer life. Not really. You know, I'm probably a slow learner, but I've found in my life at least that even now I'm still learning how to pray, and that process will probably not be complete until I get to speak to Jesus face-to-face. However, I also believe that what I share this morning can help us with the rekindling of our faith. Now, I'm not saying it'll help us rekindle our faith, but it'll help with the rekindling of our faith because primarily, as we talk about rekindling, is the fact that it's the Holy Spirit that rekindles us. We, we don't rekindle ourselves. We don't do the right, we don't do certain things to rekindle us. The Holy Spirit rekindles us. It is up to us to put ourselves in the proper place and keep ourselves in a proper place. So when the Holy Spirit chooses to rekindle us, we're available for that. I uh, put in a bulletin on the spot for, for notes down in the bottom, a podcast. I just, I was, uh, not that I work out a lot, but I was working out this past week and I have, and I, Listen to uh, Tim Keller. Some of you maybe have read some of his books. A podcast of his. I've never listened to a podcast of his before. And it happened to be on prayer, the very thing I was going to be talking about. And, and he does such a great job about talking about prayer. And I, if uh, you like to li- listen to podcasts, I've got the name of the podcast on, in your bulletin. And it is, it is great. And probably said much better than what you'll hear today. Let's pray together. Lord, now I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You are our strength and you are our redeemer. Amen. Unlike Matt, our praise team leader, and I wish he was here today, but uh, hopefully you can tell him about this. Uh, I, I tried to be a good boy when I was young. And even though it wasn't exciting as uh, hanging off a three-story building, it was a whole lot safer. I learned early in my life that if I was a good boy, it made my parents happy. Sometimes they would even praise me or they would reward me for being a good boy. And so I always, always, well, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't go overboard here, but I really did try hard to be a good boy. Well, I didn't carry it over my relationship with God. I believe that what God wanted most for me as I was growing up was to be a good boy. And that if I was a good boy, God would be happy with me. And if I was not a good boy, that God would not be happy with me. I also came to believe that I was not good, that uh, if I was not good, that I better confess to God the bad in my life, especially before I go to bed at night, because if I would die during the night without, with this unconfessed bad, I would not go to heaven. That's a whole another sermon of bad theology, but but that's that's how I, I grew up and the kind of fear that I had as I grew up. You know, many people evaluate their relationship with God in the very same way. Uh, years ago, 
church family had a foreign exchange student from Japan. Her name was Reiko. Reiko was not a Christian, but she came to several of our, our youth activities. And we went on a ski retreat. If you can believe we have a, there is skiing in North Dakota. And uh, we went on a ski retreat. And at the ski retreat, I asked Reiko to share with us about what life was like growing up in Japan. And uh, when she got up to share, she's this tiny little girl, but she got up to share, she didn't talk at all about her life in Japan, rather she talked to us about her view of God. And she said that she had always believed that God had a big chalkboard up in the air. Everybody know what a chalkboard is? (laughs) Big chalkboard in the air, and every time she did something bad, God would put a mark on the chalkboard. And every time she did something good, God would erase one of those marks. And she'd always been very sad and very fearful because she knew she would never have enough marks erased by the time she got to the end of her life. She, like me, was caught up in being good enough for God. It's so hard not to wrap our experience with God up with the good with, with good behavior. And as we talk about rekindling our faith, it's easy to adrift in this quest for some sort of good behavior that will help us rekindle that faith. Well, in our scripture reading this morning, we're going to look in, in on a young person who approaches Jesus, and he's trying to discover some good behavior that will enable him to further his his. Uh, spiritual life so that he might receive more blessing in life. This young person approaches Jesus, as I said, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all talk about him, but they talk about him a little bit differently. But if we put it all together, we find out that he was a rich, young ruler. We're going to look at Mark's recollection of the counter. It's Mark 10, 17, if you want to follow along in your Bible or your app. Mark 10, 17. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I've kept all of these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. I know this is kind of a strange scripture to use in talking about prayer. We tend to view this as a scripture that talks about how hard it is for a rich person to get into heaven or, or the great cost of following Jesus. But I also think this encounter is an encounter about spiritual maturity, prayer included. We're going to give this young man uh, the name of Tobias. It would be a lot easier to, uh, to, to uh, say Tobias than rich young ruler every time. Tobias means God is good, which fits in really well with what we're talking about. Tobias was a good person. He showed his goodness as he knelt before Jesus and addressed him as a good teacher. 
He wants to know how to be even better. To live a better life, a life good enough to earn Him not only blessings here on earth, but also eternal life. And Jesus, as you heard, responds to Him with a set of commandments. And Tobias confirms that He's kept the commandments since His youth. He's, He's so sincere. It says that Jesus fell in love with Him during that time. He loved this young man. However, Jesus sees something in Tobias that needs to be confronted. So with a voice of authority and a a look of love, Jesus says, Tobias, you lack one thing. Go and sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. Now it's obvious that being good was very important to Tobias. It appears that Tobias believed that his life that was full of blessing... Lots of money, lots of possessions, power, all those good things were because God is rewarding him for being a good person. Tobias wants to be really good so he can have even more from God. And Jesus stops him in his tracks by saying, it really doesn't matter, Tobias, if you're good or even if I'm good. What matters the most is that God is good. Jesus is getting to a very important point with Tobias. We can't miss it. There's nothing wrong with us being good. God wants us to be good. Throughout the the Bible, from the Old Testament, the New Testament, striving for good is the way we're supposed to go. However, the problem is that just like Tobias, when we give too much attention to being good, we turn our attention away from a relationship with God. We start concentrating on the good things we do to earn God's attention rather than turning our attention to God who already has given us His attention. You know, sometimes even good things, even the best things will become bad if they get in the way of our relationship with God. Even our prayer life. I believe that the depth of our prayer life Or the fire of our spiritual life can be wrapped up in our prayer life. But our attitude towards prayer also can be a great hindrance to that rekindling in our life, in our relationship with God. I mentioned that I I wanted to be a good boy. I didn't think I'd be loved unless I was good. I didn't, didn't think my parents would love me. I didn't think my pastor would love me. I didn't think my teachers would love me. I didn't think God would love me. And this came... Or it carried over when I got into college and when I finally accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Again, I wanted to be good. I wanted to be a good follower of Jesus. And and, uh, in particular, I wanted to be a good prayer. That caused some problems because as soon as I announced my faith and and, uh, eventually the direction I was going to go in the ministry, I got all kinds of advice on how to pray. When I was raised, I I prayed by folding my hands and and bowing my head, closing my eyes, and that's how I prayed. But all of a sudden, I was meeting people who were saying, you don't have to close your eyes when you pray. You don't have to bow when you you pray. You can even lift your hands when you pray. I also heard people who said that that posture didn't matter. In fact, that, that it's more effective to pray when you're kneeling or more effective to pray even laying down on the floor, face down to the floor. 
I was told that God would not listen to me if I did not end every prayer with the phrase in Jesus' name. There was a period of time that I never used the words, Thy will be done in my prayer, because someone told me that to say, Thy will be done, showed a lack of faith. And then I had other people who said, You have to pray, Thy will be done, because Jesus prayed that prayer when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some people told me that when I prayed, I needed to pray out loud, really loud, as if God had a hearing problem. I was told to never write out my prayers and then read it because prayer always had to be spontaneous. And for sure, I should never pray a prayer that had been written by someone else because that made my prayer life insincere and impersonal. Well, as I look back on all of that, this this is over the course of, of quite a few years, I realized that the reason I wanted to know how to pray good had nothing to do with getting to know God better. But rather, I wanted to know how to pray good so that I'd have a better chance to get God's attention. It was almost if, as if I saw God as a genie. And if I had just the right posture or said just the right magic words, God would answer my prayers. I'd unlock some kind of secret that God had put into the universe that, uh, that He wanted us to all look for. And if we found it, we'd get it, whatever we wanted. But to find ourselves in a better place with our faith and our prayer life in particular means to realize that prayer has more to do about God and less to do about us. Jesus could have, uh, or Tobias could have very well come up to Jesus and asked Jesus, Jesus, how can I pray better so that the Father will hear my prayers and answer them? And Jesus could have listed off all kinds of methods of prayer. He said, have you tried praying on your knees or closing your eyes or folding your hands? Tobias would have answered like, Lord, I've, I've done all those. Is there something else I can do when I pray? And Jesus' response would have been much the same. Forget everything you've learned, Tobias. Get rid of all of your how-to-pray books. In fact, sell everything and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. That's what's most important. This isn't about doing all the good and right things to get God's attention. But it's about God getting our attention. Prayer isn't about getting God's attention God wants our attention, and that's what's what prayer is all about. God says, don't be so busy trying to live a good life and perfecting your spiritual disciplines that you end up not spending any time with me. Because I'm not interested in your spiritual practices, I am interested in you. All that being said, we still need to develop and practice a prayer life. And so I'm going to share some things, uh, kind of a smattering of things that, that will help set us in the right attitude in our prayer. We start by reminding ourselves that prayer is not an end in itself. Prayer is a means to an end. And the end is God. Prayer is simply, very simply, setting our face towards God setting our face towards God 
It's as simple as less of me, more of God. Prayer is simple in essence. But as we know and as uh, you, you confess, it's difficult in practice. You know, I, now that I'm retired, I have much more time to spend uh, in devotions and prayer and those kinds of things, but I still struggle with it all the time. My mind wanders. I spend more time thinking about what I need to do during the day than about God. I uh, spend more time asking for things instead of, of thanking God for all that He's given to me. In spite of the struggle, though, I now know that prayer is about God. And it's not about me. And that has been a big step forward for me in my prayer life. Now here's some things that we can do to help get us in the right attitude or help set our face towards God. The first thing is remember that it, it takes practice. We need, to, we need to practice facing God. Brother Lawrence, who wrote The Practice of the Presence of God, said this, I made this my business, not only at the appointed times of prayer, but all the time, every hour, every minute, even in the height of my work, I drove from my mind everything that interrupted my thoughts of God. Another thing that's very helpful is to use the Lord's Prayer as a focus. Now, we don't we don't uh, pray the Lord's Prayer at this in uh, this church very often and I'm not sure exactly why that is but it's fine but the Lord's Prayer is such an important prayer I mean that's the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples when he asked them how to pray it's all about God God your kingdom come God your will be done God you're the source of all that we truly need you're the only one that can forgive us you're the only one that can walk with me, walk with us, so that we don't fall into a temptation and bring evil into our lives. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Forever. I recently came across this quote uh, in the Jesus Creed by Scott McKnight, and he's quoting somebody else. I can't think of the name right now, but he said... It, The Lord's Prayer is a prayer most used and least understood. People think they are asking God for something. They are not. They are offering God something. The Lord's Prayer is not a prayer to God to do something we want done. It is more nearly God's prayer to us to help Him do what He wants done. The Lord's Prayer is not intercession. It is enlistment. I think another thing we can do to help our, turn our face towards God is to read the prayers of other people, especially people that we know had a deep faith in a, in a long walk with God, and take their prayers and make them our own. I have one that's on the screen here. It's by Thomas Merton. Uh, Thomas Merton was a monk in the mid-50s, uh, a little beyond that on both sides, but... Uh, Wrote a lot, a lot of books and and uh, some great stuff. But this prayer that that uh, is one of my favorites shows just how dependent we are on God. Thomas Merton prays, "I need to be led by you. I need my heart to be moved by you. I need my soul to be made clean by your healing and grace. 
I need my will to be made strong by you. I need the world to be saved and changed by you. I need you for all those who suffer, who are in danger, in prison, and sorrow. I need your healing hand to work always in my life. I need you to make me, as you made your son, a healer and a comforter. I need you to help the dying cross their particular rivers. I need you for myself, whether I live or die. It is necessary. Amen. Another way is to sing songs of faith and praise to God. If you don't like singing, or the people around you don't like your singing, then pay attention to the words and make those words your own prayer. And a great source, in fact, the best source, are the Psalms. The Psalms were songs. And if anything, the Psalms are, are songs that are incredibly honest. You know, God can't work with us. God can't speak to us if we're not honest with Him. So the Psalms teach us how to be honest with God. Uh, Tim Keller in, in uh, the podcast that I have on the, in the bulletin says that the, in the Psalms we find a real God interacting with real life. And that's what, what uh, the Psalms teach us. And so that to, we need to make the Psalms our prayer. Another thing uh, to remember is to, to not gauge our prayer life by the way we feel. This is a horrible trap to get into. That somehow we have to feel different when we pray, or we have to pray until we feel different. And there's feelings involved, and there's sometimes when God moves in us and we can feel His presence like in, in incredible ways. But there's also a lot of times when God is silent and we don't feel any different. We might even, we might even be depressed or we're tired or whatever. But we cannot gauge our prayer life by how we feel because prayer is about God. It's not about us. We should never get discouraged with the wandering mind. How many would say that that's probably the greatest problem you have with prayer I just, I can't believe it how fast my mind can wander I um, I, I have an image in my head that helps me a lot, I heard, heard this talk about some, by somebody else but I can really relate to my own life You know, as a, as a father and then as a grandfather, some of the greatest moments of my life were when my children or my grandchildren would be playing with their toys or playing with other friends or whatever and they would choose to come and sit on my lap. <clears throat> and when they sat on my lap, I didn't care if they were looking around or their mind was wandering, even if they fell asleep. In fact, sometimes I preferred when they fell asleep. But, <laughs> but uh, what was important to me is that they were sitting in my lap, that they chose me at that moment to be with. And that's, that's a great image for us when we get frustrated with our mind wandering and and wish our prayer life was better. And what's important to God is that is that we're with Him. And to to think about climbing up on onto the lap of our Heavenly Father. And just sit there in His presence. And our mind might wander. We might start be thinking of everything else except God. We might start fidgeting. We might even fall asleep. But I think God is happy with us just 
to want to be with Him. Another big thing is we need to know that God knows what is best for us. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 11, If you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? And to always remember this great truth that the Holy Spirit is praying for us. It's not just about us. The Holy Spirit is praying for us. We read that in Romans 8, 26 and 27. Some of the best, some of the most comforting verses in the Bible. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Isn't that amazing? That we might, we might not know what to pray for or we might not, not know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit is praying for us. I think about that a lot, uh, that while I'm sleeping at night, that the Holy Spirit is praying for me. And uh, that, that's a pretty cool thing to think about. That all of a sudden, we, that uh, God is still at act, actively at work in our lives when we're sleeping. Now, you might have heard this story, I think it's, it's one of those stories that, you know, one of the wor- worst things about being a preacher nowadays, in my day, you could tell stories and usually people had never heard them before. But now it's like everybody knows every story because of the internet. And, uh, and these stories, they just keep going around and around. But, Anyway, there's a story about this Jewish farmer. He was a very orthodox Jewish farmer. Uh, you know, as you might know, Sabbath starts on Friday night when the sun goes down. Well, he was out in the field doing his work, and the sun went down. It was Friday night, and he was trapped because he was an orthodox Jew, and he could only take so many steps or else be caught. it would be counted as work on the Sabbath. So he just sat in the field all night long and all day Saturday until the sun went down again on Saturday night so when he could walk back to his house. When he got back to his house, the rabbi was waiting for him. And the rabbi wanted to know why he hadn't been to synagogue that day. And so the farmer explained to him what had happened, that he he was trying to be a good Jew and, and he couldn't walk home so he had to stay in the field and but the rabbi was impressed. In fact, he chided him for being so stupid for ending up in the field during the night and not being able to go to, to a synagogue. And he said, what did you do out there in the field all day? Did you even think about praying? And the farmer said, Rabbi, I am not a very clever man. I don't know how to pray properly. So all I did all night long and all day long as I recited the alphabet over and over and over again and let God form the words for himself. (laughs) That's not a bad image either. Now sometimes the letters we bring to God are, are sad or angry or they can be happy. We need to give the letters of our life to God and let him put them together in the way that he wants to see our life to be. You know, at the beginning of the sermon, I talked about Reiko, the Japanese foreign exchange student. 
She also shared that during the time when she talked about her image of God in the chalkboard, that she said, I learned something by coming to this youth group and watching you folks talk about God. She said, I realized that the chalkboard doesn't matter. I realized for the first time in my life that God simply loves me. That's where prayer begins and ends, in the loving arms of a God who loves us so much that he came into this world to be one of us. To experience everything that we experience from birth to death, to know exactly what we go through every day. A God who came to this earth that he might lead us not only through this earth, but also beyond this earth into eternal life. I want us to uh, do something. I don't, have, have any of you heard of a, of a breath prayer? Anybody? Uh, I, I don't know when I, when I learned about this, but it's, it's a form of prayer. And what it, basically what it is, it's a very short prayer that you match with your breath. And what i like us to do uh, just for a moment, and especially I want us to do it as we uh, share a communion this morning. You come forward. And I, I, I try to do this all the time when I'm thinking too much about other things or thinking too much about myself. Is We're going to change the words just a little bit here to make it a personal prayer. But I, I match this prayer with my breathing. And when I breathe in, take a breath, I say to myself, more of you. And I direct that to God and say, God, I just need more of you. And I think about God coming into me. And then when I breathe out, I, I think less of me. And, and as I breathe out, I try to get rid of the stuff in my life that are, that's getting in the way or taking, taking my attention. And so we're going to do that for just a little bit here. And then I'm going to have a prayer together. And then we're going to share communion. And what I'd like you to do as, as you come up for communion is that, you know, Jesus said that we're supposed to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood because he was the one who would give us food and drink from which we would never hunger or thirst again. And so as you, as you take the wafer, the bread, whatever, whatever it is, into your, into your mouth, to, th- to think about that more of you. And then as you, uh, and then, and then breathe out and, and, and give yourself to God. Less of me, God. I, I give what I have to you. I don't want. I want more of you and me, and less of you. And then do the same thing with the cup. Okay. So let's just spend a little bit of time. If you want to close your eyes, lift your hands, whatever you want to do. But just just think about your breathing, and as you breathe in, say more of you. And as you breathe out, less of me. Lord, it's amazing that even in our relationship with you and our prayer life and, and so many things that we we do to help us in our in our relationship with you that we make it more about ourselves and less about you. We get so wound up in, in being good and 
and doing the right thing and doing it in the right way that we, we forget all about You. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to have more of You in our life and less of ourselves. Teach us to keep our face pointed towards You wherever we might find ourselves. We thank You so much for Your incredible love for us. Forgive us for the times that we don't enjoy it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So during our final song, come forward and receive of Jesus. Give Him more of you and uh, let Him be filled by more of Him. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.